We're continuing on in this uh, this series about purpose, and in fact, I am now bookending this. I think I began it quite a few weeks ago, and I'm finishing it off talking about purpose. Purpose, purpose, purpose. Purpose is so important. This year, if you have been following what we've been doing, we've been actually taking a track, a road in our church. We actually started off with talking about what or who is God? How do you know God? This is an important question because knowing God is fundamental to our faith. It's fundamental to our journey to discover our own spirituality and who God really is. And the second thing that we looked at was actually finding freedom. Because we've discovered this, there's no point in knowing God if it doesn't actually do something in your life, if it doesn't change you as a person. We're meant to find freedom in our minds, find freedom in our souls and in our spirits and in our bodies. We're meant to find freedom in all parts of our lives, even in our relationships. That's why Jesus came. In fact, it says in Ephesians that it's for freedom that Christ came for us, for freedom. Then, of course, we talked about the body of Christ and who the body of Christ is, and we wanted to end with talking about purpose. Why purpose? Because there's a reason why Jesus died for us. And it wasn't just to get a ticket to heaven. There's a reason why he has come for us. Because every creator, every designer, every builder, whatever they create, they have a purpose for what they have built. Even a painter, when they paint a a picture, the painting is meant to bring joy. There's a purpose for it. There is a job for it. And you've heard me say this many times before, that you are not one in a million, but you're one of a kind, and God has designed you for a purpose. There's a job that you have. There's a calling that you have. There's a design that is built into you that nobody else can do. I can't do your job. Something has been designed just for you. You have been designed for something and specifically that no one else can do it. There's certain words that only you can say. Certainly words that only you can say to your spouse, to your children, to your community. There's certain things that only you can say to your spouse, your children, your family, your community. You are designed for a very important purpose in life. A few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three, I can't remember, time is just flying now. You'd remember if I talked about a particular teaching and I asked the question of what do you want? Because I've been amazed how many people don't really know what it is that they want in life. But I believe that God has put dreams and visions in each one of us. That there is something inside of us that we should deeply desire and want because God has planted that inside of us. And maybe you don't know what you want simply because you haven't given yourself the permission to even answer that question. Or maybe that you're, you're, you're so busy uh, focusing on what it is that you don't want. I've had this bad thing happen to me. I've had that bad thing happen to me. And the problem with focusing on the things that you don't want is that it doesn't allow you to dream, to believe, and have the faith to take hold of the things that you do want that God has put inside of you. Hello, let me say it again. It's important that you understand that you don't focus on the things that you don't want because many of these things you can do nothing about. There's nothing you can change about certain parts of your life or certain parts of of, of other people's lives. It's just, it is what it is. And if you focus on that, you can't see the dreams and the desires that God has put inside of you. So therefore, it's very difficult to take the next step in life to take hold of the things that you do want. What is it that you want? Chase after that. We even talked about Bartimaeus. 
in chapter 10 of, of Mark. And blind Bartimaeus was a blind man and he heard the Messiah was going past and there was crowds following him. And he started shouting to him. He, uh, uh, he started shouting out for, for his attention. And the people told him to shut up and sit down and stay in his place. And he kept shouting all the more. And he kept pursuing and shouting all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus basically brought him to him. And he said, what do you want? Seems like a cruel question when you're speaking to a blind person. Isn't it obvious what he wants? He wants to see, man. Surely he wants to see. The problem is this, that many of us have been calling to Jesus, but we've been asking for 10 bucks. We've been asking for stuff that is small. Jesus can see what it is that you need. He can see that there is so much more for you, but you've been settling for less. Quite a few years ago, Pastor Mark and I actually, we went up to, we decided to do, I, I, I called him up one day and I said, hey, I, wanna, I want you and I to go somewhere and just dream about new vision. He's like, all right, sure, that sounds good. That's one thing I love about Pastor Mark, he's always up for ready to do something new. It doesn't matter what it is. And he said, what are we going to do? And I said, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to book two flights and we're going to go to a place. And he's like, well, well, where are we going? And I said, I'm not telling you. He's like, okay, it's fine with me. How should I pack, is what he said. So I'm like, well, I'll bring a light jacket. We'll be fine. Just bring it. Just bring clothes for a few days. Bring extra underwear just in case as well. You never know what might happen. So anyway, uh, so we get to D.C., and we get there, and we're up in D.C., and, and uh, we're, we're walking around, and, and I said, I just wanted to be here because there's so much vision. The vision of this country is like it's concentrated in the city. It's just so inspiring. Has anyone ever been to D.C. before? It's really cool, isn't it? It's a cool place to go to. So I was there, and it was just so inspiring. And someone had told us, oh, if, you, if you're going to go anywhere, go to the Native American Indian Museum. And I said, why? And they said, because they have great food there. And I said, I'm in like sin. So, so we got there. And I, said, I said, Pastor Mark, I've been told to go to the Native American Indian uh, Museum to go for something to eat there. That's, that's where the best food is. And he's like, oh, that sounds good. So we get there and there's this little tiny cafe that's right there, just a little, and they have a little glass case and they've got maybe about five different options to eat. And they were very unusual options, of course. And I'm looking at it going, oh yeah, that's okay. Well, we'll get this. And, we, and so we, we picked our food and then we went to a table and we ate our food. And as we were clearing up, we're putting on the tray on the tray and I couldn't see the trash can. So I went over to the lady and I said, excuse me, where's the trash can? And she said, oh, it's around the corner. And so I got up and I, and I walked over and I went around the corner. And when I walked around the corner, this whole hall opened up. It was like heaven. There was this massive banquet of different foods from around the world surrounding me. And I felt I just felt heart falling. I can't believe this. I have just settled for this little kiosk around the corner and there was all of this. But now I'm full. I can't eat anymore. And I, and I thought, I'm going to walk around and find out what I missed out on. I started crying, single tears as I was walking around. They had all this food from all over the world. It was so cool. And it hit me right there. I wonder how many times I have settled for some small provision just because it was new, just because it was different, just because it was something I could handle. How many times have we, handled, have we, have we settled for something smaller when if we had pushed on further, we would have discovered there is a banquet around the corner? We would have discovered that there was something greater for us. And I believe that many of us have been like blind Bartimaeus, shouting for Jesus to help us. And when Jesus says, what do you want? Your answer has been, I just need to pay my bills. 
or I just need to feel happy, or I just need to be without this pain. And it's not that Jesus doesn't care for those things, but you have to understand there is so much more for you. Hello, someone shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Listen, God has so much more for us. And right in that same chapter of Mark chapter 10, there's a story that happened just before it. And when I read it, I thought, that's more like us than I realized. And we're going to read from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 24. And we're going to read about the rich, young ruler who came to Jesus. And he basically asks for something as well. The blind man asked for something, and the rich man asked for something. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Notice this, he only listed the commands that were to do with how you treated other people, but nothing to do with how you treated God. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I wonder, as I have studied this and I have been thinking and talking about purpose. I believe that probably one of the biggest curses that Western Christianity have is this. We don't feel fulfilled. The amount of times I talk with people and don't take this as a criticism or a, or a telltaling on you or anything like that, but the fact is there are many people who just don't feel fulfilled and yet they are Christians. There's two reasons why I believe they don't feel fulfilled. The first one is they don't know why they're here. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't know what they're meant to do. The other reason is, is I actually believe they haven't really met the full Jesus. They haven't met the real Jesus. There's a form of Jesus. They have discovered the, the joys, the, the good works, the things he has done, and, and the good gifts that he has given to us. They've, they've, they've discovered things about Jesus, but they've not met the real Jesus. Now, if I'm thinking about this rich guy here, this rich guy actually turned out to be the perfect disciple. And you're thinking about someone that I would want to be my disciple. Surely this is the guy who I'd want to be my disciple. He had great moral wealth and he had great financial wealth. He was a good guy. He treated other people really well and he wanted to have a good reputation in his community. And he was independently financial, uh, sorry, he was independently wealthy. He had the finances to support himself. One thing I've found about the reason why we want you to, be, to become financial stable, financially stable in your life is not just because it honors God, but because it frees up your time and your mind in order to be able to serve God. What I've found with some people is, and even with myself, is that when I am worried about money and I'm worried about how I'm going to pay bills, I am more focused on what I don't have and I'm worried about my debts and I'm worried about all that stuff. I'm not putting my mind onto the things of God. When my time is taken up with work, I don't actually have the time to do any ministry. Hello. 
And so it's important to understand that a great disciple is not someone who wants to be a good moral person, but they can actually be financially stable. But the third thing this guy had going for him was this. He was at least willing to admit that he wasn't perfect. He was willing to admit there was things he needed to change. There was something else that he was missing. Surely this is the perfect disciple. This could have been disciple number 13 for Jesus, but no, he has to chase him away. And his response is such that he chases him away. If I was Jesus' advisor, I probably would have said this, Jesus, could we just bring it down a notch just a little bit? Just, just a little, bring it down. Could we not chase them away and give them such harsh teaching straight away? Could we get them involved in the club? Could we get them in the church right now? Could we... Could we at least get them to go to the growth track? Maybe they would like to come along and go to a small group and just find out how wonderful you are. Maybe we could do that. And then we'll slowly break it to them that it's actually going to be difficult to follow you. We'll just give them one next step and one next step. No, that's not how Jesus did it. He dropped the bomb on him. You dropped a bomb on me. He dropped a bomb on him. He basically went for where his pain was. And Jesus... Later on, we never read this, but later on his disciples said this, if it's this hard for this guy, if this guy can't get into heaven easily, what is the chances that we're going to get in heaven? They basically said, who then is able to get into heaven? That's when Jesus said, your father can bring everybody in. For God, it's not impossible. I want to look at the three things that the rich man discovered when he came across Jesus. The first one is this. The rich man discovered that being a good person wasn't good enough. When he said, good teacher, what must I do to get into heaven? The first thing that Jesus went after is he said, why are you calling me good? No one is good except God alone. You know that. No one is good. Sometimes I wonder if we have, if we have we've become the types of Christians that are so busy looking for being good to try and be good enough. Sometimes I've spoken to people and they've told me why they can't be trusted to be in ministry, why they can't take a next step because my life is not in order. I'm a little bit messed up still. Let me tell you, you're never gonna be in order enough. You're always gonna be messed up in some, some degree. You're never gonna be perfect. No one is ever going to be good enough. The problem with someone who demands that they have to be good enough is that you end up having to beat yourself up because you're never actually gonna be good enough. And Jesus is saying, you can't be good enough, so therefore your fulfillment can't be from your morality. It's not that morality isn't important, it just can't come from how well you perform. The other side of that pendulum is this, is that your joy and your peace and your hope and your fulfillment and your purpose cannot come from other people being good enough. They're never going to be good enough in life. They're never going to succeed well enough and they'll never thank you enough for being good enough. There was a time when I was actually in my last neighborhood that my neighbor used to never cut his grass and it used to drive me nuts. I used to hate it. I'm like, just cut your grass. How hard can it be? Oh, maybe he doesn't have a lawnmower. Well, well at least pick up the sticks. You've got two hands. Pick up the trash that is blowing. And it used to drive me nuts that he wasn't living to a standard that was good enough until God told me someday... Go cut his grass. Why do I have to do it? It's his grass. Until I discovered it wasn't his grass, it's God's grass. He wasn't looking after it well, I get that. But I could step in to look after my father's grass. It's all a matter of perspective of who it is that you're actually serving. Who is it for? 
sure enough, I went and cut his grass and it got to the point where I was, I, I was, for a while there, I was cutting five people's different grasses, right? And they probably think, who is that nut out there that keeps cutting everyone else's grass? Because this nut had a different perspective on whose grass it was. It wasn't my grass, it wasn't his grass, it was God's grass. <laughs> Sounds terrible, doesn't it? But anyway. <clears throat> when you demand that somebody else has to live to a high standard of being good, you're gonna start beating them up. And the problem with that is if you beat them up, you give yourself the permission for God to have to beat you up too. But the fact is, you're not good enough, they're not good enough, and God doesn't beat you up simply because his grace is upon you. You will never, ever be good enough. Number two, <clears throat> the second thing that he discovered was, he discovered that being successful was never gonna be enough. It wasn't enough. At, the man, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad, it says, because he had great wealth. When you have what you want, you get to the place in your life where you start asking the question, so what? Has anyone ever bought a new car before? Anyone? I bought a new car before. You bought a new car? Do you remember when you're buying a new car, right? Yeah, Rory's trying to advertise his business down here. Um, um, you ever bought a new car before and you drive away and you're like, oh, I just love that new car smell, right? Have you ever, remember the new car smell? I've got news for you. That's glue. You're a glue sniffer. That's what you love about the car, right? You're driving down the road and you're, 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 you're driving the car and then after a week, you're just like, I can't believe I have this car. And you find new things about it and you're like, the seat goes back like this and, and you press this button and it does that and it's, and it's amazing. It's so wonderful how lovely and wonderful the experience of this new car is. And then a month later, it's dirty. It's got Coke cans on the front and you're not looking after it as well as you should do, right? Come on, confessions now in the name of Jesus, Right? Of course we do. Why? Because in the great, the words of the psalmist, B.B. King, the thrill has gone, baby. The thrill has gone. The fact is we don't get fulfilled by the stuff that we get in our life and the success that comes into our lives. Sometimes we often get the ladder of success, lean it against the wall and find out it was leaning against the wrong wall. And you climb all the way to the top only to find out it's not what I really wanted. There are two victims, I believe, and the pursuit for success. The first one is the, the unsuccessful and the second one is the successful. The first one, the unsuccessful, the reason why they're a victim is because they then fall into depression when they discover that they are inadequate to become successful. Am I right? Has anyone ever been successful? You worked hard for your business and it didn't really achieve much. You worked hard for your marriage and it seemed to fall apart. You worked hard to try and get your family to love you and they just kept rejecting you. You've worked hard and then you get to your 40s, your 50s, your 60s or something and then you just start settling in in life because you realize that you haven't succeeded. Your depression comes from your own inadequacy because you didn't succeed. But Jesus said this, he said it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven. I'll tell you why, because he has two unsuccessful parts of his life. The first one is this, that when he becomes successful in business, he discovers the inadequacy of his own success. What is the point of being a millionaire? What is the point of having a 401k? What's the point of having this business or having this home or having everything paid off or being in control or doing all this? What is the point? I have gathered it all unto myself and yet the rich man will always feel inadequate. Why? Because success can't bring you fulfillment. Success is just a tool in your life. 
The third thing that Jesus showed this guy that he discovered was he discovered that he was still unfulfilled. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. All of them I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Jesus recognized there was something lacking in him. He recognized there was something lacking in him. Just like the poor man who came up to him, Jesus would have always asked him the question, what do you want? He said he wanted eternal life, but he didn't really want eternal life as much as he thought he did. I wonder if sometimes there are many Christians in that that, that position where they know what they want, but they don't know if they're willing to pay the price to go get it. What do you want? What do you want is very important because God's put dreams and desires in your heart. What do you want? But there's an equal question that must follow after that, and it's this, why do you want it? And if you know why you want it, what are you willing to pay for it to get it? You see, Oftentimes I find that people will get to the place where they're basically asking themselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing this job? Why am I living this life? What is my purpose? There is something greater out there. But there are two shocks that you will discover in your life that I believe this rich man went through. Two shocking things that he discovered about Jesus. Number one, that Jesus' demands is more than you thought. The second one is that Jesus' offer is also more than you thought. His demand is so much greater than you would ever have imagined in your life. The gospel is important to us. But if the gospel of Jesus Christ is a pleasant, fulfilling, comfortable thing, then all I can say is you have not met the Jesus Christ who demands of you. If you're someone who lives under deep burden and guilt of your Christian faith, then all I can say is you haven't popped your head around the corner and discovered the banquet that awaits for you. The offer that awaits for you. And Jesus said this later on in that chapter. He said, listen, no one who has ever given anything for the sake of the gospel has ever lived without receiving a hundred times more in this lifetime as much as the next. Did you get that? In this lifetime as much as the next. You see, when you rise to the demand of Christ, you'll find that there is a greater treasure buried in life. When you rise to the demand of having to give it away, give it away, give it away now, as the great hot chili pepper said, and when you rise to the demand of giving it away and sacrificing yourself, at only that point can you find your purpose. You see, one of the problems that I think that oftentimes is when we're trying to discover our purpose, one of the biggest challenges that we discover as Christians is that we find out we've been doing it academically all along. You can't do it academically. You see, the demand of Christ demands radical action. Radical, let me say it again. The demand of Christ is a demand of radical action. If you want to have what he has, you want to have those treasures. If you want to find your purpose, if you want to find your meaning in life, if you want to find your place in this world, you want to find the kingdom of God inside of you, something radically has to change in your life. There is no way you can get it outside of that way. I can't stress this en- Listen now, people. I can't stress this enough right now. There is no academic pursuit There is only radical generosity that must come about in your life to give it away entirely. 
It'd be easy to look at this and think, you know what? That means I should give everything away. No, this is the only man in scriptures that it says that Jesus told him to give everything away. Why? Because Jesus gets personal with your life. There's something usually in each one of our lives that we're not willing to let go of. We're not willing to give up. I'm not willing to give up my talent. I'm not willing to give up my time. I'm not willing to give up my treasure. I'm not willing to give up this person that I love. I'm not willing to give up my goals for my life. I'm not willing to give up my business. I'm not willing to give up my country. Listen, I know what this is about. I had to give up my country as well. Seems like it would be easy coming to America. Listen, I loved where I came from. I didn't need America. I wasn't trying to get over the, over the wall here. I wasn't trying to get across the border because I was being persecuted. I was someone who had everything I needed in my life already. But I knew that when God said, now is the time, go. It's painful. It's difficult. It's challenging, without a doubt. But you know the greatest joy I've ever found? is that I have received so much more than I could ever have imagined. I'm talking about money. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about the joy of seeing God in people's lives. Recently, my son came up to me and, and uh, <clears throat> he asked me something. He said, can you give me a job to do? Can I tell you the joy that comes to a father's heart when a 13-year-old comes up and asks to do work? And I'm like, what? It's a miracle. And he said, can you give me a job to do? I said, yeah, I'm gonna give you a hard job. He's like, that's fine with me. So I got him to do all the jobs I didn't wanna do. <laughs> so I got him to like pick out all the vines out of the, out of the bushes and stuff. And, and you know, he's, he's only just gotten into it and he pulled it all out. And I completely forgot about it. I completely forgot that he was doing this. And I, I'd been away at work all day and I came back and I saw all this mess on the driveway. And I'm like, oh, Kale must've been working again. And he came running out and he said, can I show you what I've done? And I realized that he had discovered the joy of doing what he was doing because he was doing it for the joy of his father. You see, when you get to heaven, many of us are wondering, what treasure will I have? What treasures will I, will I get? Will I get that Ferrari? Will I get that BMW? Will I get this? Will I get that? None of all that stuff. Remember, there's no fulfillment in that stuff. Yes, God might give it to you, but there's no fulfillment. You know where the fulfillment is? The fulfillment is being connected to the father and treasuring the things that fills his heart which is why we believe that there are two things that matters to the Father, and it's this, it's people and it's eternity. It's people and it's eternity. And the more that I've spent my life on trying to serve people, the more joy that I've got, it's easier to keep sacrificing. It's easier to keep giving and giving because I'm gonna get more people and I'm gonna get more eternity in their lives. That gives me a thrill. The thrill is now back. The thrill is here. Come on, let's give. We're going to give him praise. Let's give him. Let's give a shout of praise to the Father. Come on now. Give him everything you've got. The thrill is back in your life when you're doing it for the Father. Here's another thing I learned as well recently. When my father died 17 years ago, I noticed there were certain things I kept of his. And I kept them because they were precious to me. And I started asking myself the question, why have I kept those things? And I realized that those treasures connect me to my father. They're literally MasterCard. They're priceless, right? They're priceless in my life. If you had asked to buy them from me, I would say, no, you couldn't give enough money in the world to get, to, 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 to allow, to get me to, to, to part with those things that are in my life. Why? Because those things are connecting me to the Father. 
The treasure that I believe that Jesus is talking about is two types of treasure, treasures. It's the treasure of what fills the Father's heart up, and that is people. It's eternity for these people. Jesus say, it says that, 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 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's his treasure. His treasure was to have the world. But the second treasure that you're going to find someday is when you stand before the Father and discover that you were the treasure all along. That's going to be the real treasure. You see, my real treasure with my son is not that he got ivies out of the yard, but that my son understood me, that my son wanted something that was in my heart already. And he was desperate to show what he had done, and I wanted to see it. And he took me out and he looked at the bushes and he said, so I got this up and this was really hard and I did this and I cut my knees here and I've got this. And he showed me everything that he was going through and all I could say was, son, I am so proud of you. This is a great job. Look at the bushes over here. It's, it's, and he goes, no, I haven't done that yet. And I said, no, no, it's okay. It's just look at the difference. Look at, look at how these, these bushes are dying and you have taken these bushes and you brought life to them by pulling out the ivy, by pulling out the things that are choking them to death. That's the joy that you will find. That's where your purpose is, is helping people to find renewed life inside of themselves, to get rid of the ivy that is choking their lives up. That's where your purpose is. Hello. That's where your purpose is. It's not on, good, on how good you can be. It's not on how much you can perform. It's not on how successful you can get. It's not on how much money you can collect. It's not on how safe you can make your future with your retirement. It's not on your health and how strong you can keep yourself. It's all about how you can give it away for the sake of the Father. Are you follow me on this one? Are you with me on this one? And I want you to ask yourself this question as we're digging deeper into this. Is what have I been demanded of recently? What has God been demanding of in my life that I've not been listening to? And I also want you to ask, what have I found in my life that has been a treasure that has come about in my life because of radical change that has happened there? Let's stand as we, uh, we end our service here today. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the example of the rich young ruler. But today, Lord, we want to become people of purpose. We want to discover what it is that you've called us to do. But we realize that you're going to make a great demand of us before we'll ever discover what it is to be with you. Because you told him to give his money away and then follow him, not the other way around. Jesus, many of us have been trying to follow you and we've not been willing to make the sacrifice. We've not been willing to pay the price. Today, Jesus, we have decided we're going to pay the price in order to discover what it is to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that you would envision each one of us today to discover once again what it is that you're calling us to give up, to let go, to move on from. Because we trust you to give us greater treasures than we could ever have imagined. Father, we ask for your spirit to fill us now from the bottom of our feet to the top of our head. May you bless us and keep us. We ask in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen.